It's great to gather together always. I have a sneaking suspicion that that song was one of those ones that was not just somebody sitting down trying to write a Christian song. Uh, just that chorus of you're all I want, you've ever, you're, you're all I've never ever needed. I, it just feels like it was flowing out of somebody who just desperately wanted to, the Lord to know how much he loved them. So there's there's those amazing worship songs that you're like, somebody loves Jesus who wrote that song. There's no way they could have just written that, uh, just putting some formula together. Well, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak through his word this evening, and, uh, and then let's dive in. Would you just ask him to speak to your heart? Father, we love you, and we need you, and we pray that you would speak to each of us through your Holy Spirit. Uh, We thank you for the gathering of believers together in worship of you. We just pray, Lord, you would have your way, and that we would set apart Christ as Lord, as first in our lives in every area. Pray you would bless now your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles this evening, I want to encourage you to to turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to talk about the fruit of devotion. And just to put this in context, I have been burdened. You watch from a 50,000 foot view what's going on around the world. And people are beat up and worn out and down. To hear that 500 churches in Georgia have pastors that are ready to quit the ministry, that grieves me. And these are the ones that should be shepherding other people. And we know that before the pandemic happened that social media alone was linked to increased anxiety and depression amongst young people. Because they were connecting with people online and yet there were significantly less meaningful relationships. And even though it's addictive, it would cause people, after spending hours on social media, to feel lonely, to feel depressed, to feel unfulfilled. And then as a result of the pandemic, it's only gotten worse. Boston University says depression among adults in the U.S. has tripled since 2020. It was 8.5% before the pandemic of people struggling with depression. Then it jumped to 27% right after the pandemic. But new research from Boston University School of Public Health reveals that it's gone up even higher, and now it's at 32%. One out of every three Americans are struggling with depression. The pandemic continues to generate devastating consequences globally, not only with economic struggles that people are having, increased loneliness and social isolation, and then the death, of course, of loved ones and friends. When I'm looking at this list, though, I'm thinking the church is designed to help people with all of these things. God's word is designed to help us with all of these things. And Satan is working overtime to isolate us and to beat us down and discourage us. We've got some friends of ours that have served in ministry together as a family for years. We're mightily used by God to reach people on the streets with the gospel. They moved to a different city. They didn't plug into a local church. They began to deal with their own personal issues, but they were dealing with them alone, separated from the body of Christ. And then their marriage, to the shock of their family and friends, ended up in smoke, and they they went through a divorce, and people were standing around knowing them, saying, how could this happen? In the film world, we have some friends over this past year, believers, kids at home. They were in a church that started fussing and fighting, and they got burned, church hurt in this toxic church. But they didn't plug in anywhere else, and in the fallout, they began to struggle in their marriage and just recently have gone through a divorce. And I'm hearing more and more stories. These are believers professing Jesus as Lord and Savior, but when isolated away from other believers, they begin to unravel. It says, 
in Proverbs 18.1, he who separates himself does two bad things. We seek our own selfish desires and we quarrel against sound wisdom. It's no mystery that God would look down at Adam and say, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's also not good for churches to isolate themselves from other churches. If you look in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, appealing for them to support the church in Jerusalem and follow the example of the church in Macedonia who is doing it too. And he's trying to help these churches to pray for one another and support each other and send good news to one another and hold each other up because they need it. It's not good for businesses to isolate themselves from other businesses. What would happen if Chick-fil-A said, I'm not going to work with the chicken farmers and the lemon growers anymore? What if Delta Airlines said, we're not going to be working with the jet fuel suppliers anymore? It would be devastating. It's not good for families to isolate themselves from other families. When we do, we struggle to share the joy with anyone in the good times or to get the support we need during the hard times. We feel less important because we're not being used to help other people. And oftentimes our needs can go unmet as well. Because we're broken and sinful apart from Christ, we're tempted to isolate ourselves in our dysfunction. But this becomes a ticking time bomb for us when we do so. I remember after the movie Courageous came out, we had all these people that were coming and visiting, and they would come down and meet us at the welcome desk years ago. And this man came by and he said, I wanted to visit your church because I wondered if it was just a house of cards here. You're trying to look impressive with what you're putting on the screen, but is there substance in this place? And he said, I have found substance in this place. There's a network of praying believers who love one another, and the word of God is being preached from your pulpit. He said, that's a really good sign. And then he went on to tell me a story about a famous Christian artist that had been used mightily by God from the stage, but he said behind the scenes, his life was a dumpster fire. And he said he ended up dying young, and people didn't realize that it was actually the mercy of the Lord because he didn't have the support system, the accountability around him, the prayer support around him, the relationships around him, and he was a ticking time bomb. So when I heard that, I was, I was thinking in a different way. I was thinking, Lord, do we have the support system, the accountability, the prayer support, the encouragement that we need around us? And really, that is a picture of how Jesus operated. Jesus, could, Jesus lived and modeled with this whole network of support that was around him. As believers, we have the capacity in Christ to have everything we need in him and to support one another so we can hang on during the tough times. It is imperative that believers today learn to follow the example of Jesus and that we build a strong network of godly support around us. So let me ask you a question. Who do you have around you that knows you well enough and is close enough to you that if you're struggling with secret sin, they're gonna call you, encourage you, speak to your life? Do you have people around you that are close enough to you that if your marriage is struggling, there's other couples that will know about it and reach in and encourage you when you need it? When you fall into sin privately, do you have people around you that are helping you in your faith? When the devil attacks you personally and emotionally, are you connected enough with a strong network of believers so the devil can't isolate you and take you out? Because that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we're alone, we don't always think straight. We need the rest of the body to help us. We're strong in some ways and we're weak in other ways. And we need the body of Christ to help us. So how did Jesus model in his own life, and he's the son of God, in a network of relationships around him? Well, Jesus did relate to the masses of followers on a short-term level that were around him, and he's speaking to people that knew him and followed him, and he's preaching, you know, feeding the 5,000 and preaching, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount to people on a mass scale, and there were groups of people that would follow him around. But he also trained 70 disciples that he sent out in twos. 
But it says in Mark 3, he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. With him. With him from town to town. With him in the evenings. With him as he went about his day. With him as he served. With him as he rested. With him when he was in the boat. He specifically chose 12 that they would be with him. And then he hung out within those 12. He had three that we know, Peter, James, and John, that he took up on the Mount of Transfiguration, that he took into the Garden of Gethsemane, that he was even closer to those three than the 12. And then John 13 communicates that John, the apostle, he was even closer to him. Peter looks over and says, John, ask Jesus who it is that's going to betray him. And John referred to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Jesus allows him to have the vision and revelation. And so Jesus had a close friend, even closer than that. But even more than that, he was closest to the Father. Intimately close to the Father. And you'll see these circles of influence and intimacy. The closer in you get to the circle, the more time Jesus spent with those people, the more transparency he demonstrated, the more trust he had with them. But he had to start, other than the Father, on the outside, meeting strangers, going from city to city, interacting with people. And then from that circle, he picked 12. And then spending time with them, interacting with them, then they moved in closer and he had even closer friends from there. Oftentimes you'll meet people and they're like, I, have no, I don't even have one really close friend. I don't even have two or three really close friends. Well, what are you doing on the outer skirts level? <laughs> are you reaching out to people, loving them, serving them, inviting them into your world, interacting with them? Because it will take time to move people from the casual acquaintance level down to an intimacy level. You have to give yourself and them time. Sometimes it's going to take years of interacting with people before you move them from the 70 to the 12 or the 12 to the 3. But Jesus modeled intimacy in how he operated. So as believers, we have the greatest capacity of anyone on earth for close, trusted, meaningful relationships. More than anyone in the world. We have eternal things in common. Salvation through Christ, the same Lord, the same purpose, the same God, the same empowerment of the Holy Spirit and leadership, the same enemy, the devil, the same baptism, the same citizenship in heaven, the same guide, the word of God. We have so much potential for so much good and so much joy and so much resilience and endurance if we will lock our shields together and model Christ-like fellowship in our relationships. So you will see in Hebrews 3.13, he says, exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That passage communicates that we need encouragement, not just on Sundays, but every day. And so there are some people, you're only going to see them on Sundays, but do you have believers that you are interacting with during the week who can encourage you on Wednesday? and on Friday, and on Saturday morning? Do you have people you can call on or hang out with? Do you have people where you're in their home or they're in your home and you're fellowshipping with them? You're texting them or they're texting you during the week. Do you have people around you that can encourage you daily because scripture says we need it every day? And he said any of you, doesn't matter if it's the pastor or the parking attendant, we all need encouragement. And you, we'll go through seasons where we're on a mountaintop and God's using us and blessing us, and we'll go through valleys when we really need other people to hold up our arms. Sometimes it's a physical depression. Sometimes it's just bad news. Sometimes you're grieving over loss that you have, and you need other believers around you to support you. But if you don't connect with them and you keep everybody at a distance, you're not going to have them around you when you need them. In May of 2020, it was all over the news, the death of Ravi Zacharias. And when he died, he was praised for his faithful witness and his commitment to truth and his personal integrity. And then within a year, the report, the report was released in February of 2021 that he had had a hidden life of abusing women and manipulating the people around him 
because he kept them at a distance and he had no accountability and he was not plugged in to his own church group. He would relate to people well from a stage, but his own personal life was in shambles and nobody knew about it, not even his family. David Moore wrote in a blog called Mere Orthodoxy. He says, I grieve what we have learned about Ravi Zacharias, as many of us have. It is, as others have said, a warning to all of us. But there are ways of keeping ourselves pure and faithful, faithfully loving one another. And we would do well to remember. And there are means of grace, like real friendship and consistent prayer and meditating on God's word and accountability that will protect us from also becoming a spiritual casualty. We must quit isolating ourselves. We must refuse to live an isolated life from one another. God has modeled it for us, what fellowship and intimacy looks like. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit before the creation and the foundation of the world were in perfect unity with one another. The triunity, mutual love and honor and support within God is a community of love and fellowship, respect and support. And in John 17, Jesus prayed to the Father, the glory which you've given me, I have given to them, my disciples, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus communicated that when believers are operating in unity, we're growing and also the world knows that God the Father sent Jesus into the world. So evangelism results from us walking together in close unity. God has made us in his image. We're wired for connection, for relationship, to know him and worship him and stay closely connected to an abiding relationship with him. But also we're wired with the ability to relate to one another and be very closely related to one another. We cannot love him with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves if we're not walking in fellowship with him and with one another. There is something he has put inside of us that longs for a community of love and fellowship and support. He's wired us, even children, teenagers. I'm longing for friendship, trusted relationships, me and all my brokenness, that someone would love me and understand me and accept me for who I am and help me to grow. When married couples share their lives with one another and work through problems together and learn to love each other in their brokenness, it draws their kids to want to know the God of their parents. And it draws the lost to Christ because when the world sees a godly marriage inside of them, they long for that kind of relationship and intimacy. But when couples fight and they isolate themselves from other couples, it breaks the hearts of the children and it's a poor witness to the lost. When churches walk in love and in unity and community and we're, commu we're fellowshipping together and working together and serving one another, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel at work and it's a catalyst of revival and of evangelism in the community. But when churches fight, when staff members fight, when the deacons fight, when the choir members argue and complain, it grieves the Holy Spirit and it sucks the joy out of the church. And it becomes a stench to the community and a stumbling block to the next generation. So Satan's desire to steal, kill, and destroy is at every level. But in Christ, God is calling us back to fellowship with him. So what do we need? I believe if the church of Jesus Christ in America doesn't shift gears and learn how to fellowship at a deep level, we're not going to be able to handle the evil onslaughts that are on us in the days ahead. I think we have to get out of comfortable, isolated, Americanized Christianity that keeps everybody at a distance, and we got to follow what we see in the book of Acts and what we see in the scriptures 
as God's design for us. So in Acts, when the gospel is hitting this community, remember the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches. 3,000 people get saved. It's totally amazing. And in verse 41, it says, So then those who had received his word were baptized. So they believed the gospel. They get baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And then it describes Christian fellowship that resulted from this revival. In verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Continually devoting themselves steadfastly, nonstop. And it didn't say the church leaders devoted themselves. It says the individual people. They were continually devoting themselves individually. They were choosing by their own volition, I am devoting myself to you. I am committing to God's word and to being around it and being in it and being under it. And I'm committing to fellowshipping with other believers. This word is koinonia. We're going to jump into that in a minute. They're committed to breaking bread in both in Luke and in Acts. Luke both wrote both books. Both in Luke and in Acts, breaking of bread refers to meals and the Lord's Supper. Both are, are referred to because sometimes the Lord's Supper was a part of their meals. And to prayer. They devoted themselves that they're praying for one another. They're praying, seeking the Lord. And you see that in Romans 12 when he says, devote yourselves to prayer. In, in Colossians uh, 3, he says, Colossians 4, 3, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. So this whole idea of Christian community, these four commitments, I believe, are key elements to us in the future under all the onslaughts of what the enemy would try to do to steal, kill, and destroy, we have to commit ourselves to these things. We have to commit ourselves that we are going to be in the Word privately. We're going to be in the Word with our families. We're going to be showing up at church in the Word. We're going to be fellowshipping with other believers and be in the Word. I need you to tell me what God's teaching you in the Word, and I can share with you what God's teaching me in, in the Word. And we're helping and edifying one another. But this whole idea of fellowship... This word, koinonia, it means to hold things in common. It means that we're sharing our lives with one another. This whole idea of sharing your life with other people, it's actually connected to the word with, W-I-T-H. It's the preposition with. They used to do things on their own, and now they're going to do things with one another. You see that in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You go to them, you're hanging out with them. When they're rejoicing, you're rejoicing with them because you love them. Weep with those who are weeping. You're sharing your life with those people around you. True Christian fellowship requires that we intentionally and willingly share our lives with one another. And that's exactly what you see happen to the church. If you look in the next verse, and all those who believed were together and they had all things in common. Circle that word together. Discipleship oftentimes now is taking place from the pulpit level, but not like Jesus on the personal day-to-day -day level. If we're not in one another's homes, if we're not seeing each other during the week and praying for each other during the week and supporting each other and serving each other, we're not following the example that Jesus followed. And again, we tend to play it safe and we want to relate to people at a safe distance so that we don't get hurt and that we don't get involved in their stuff either. But we'll see in Scripture, in Hebrews 13, verse 16, it says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Well, what do you have? Well, you have spiritual giftedness. You may have resources. You may have time. You say, I don't have any resources. You have a gift from the Lord. Encouragement. 
God has equipped each of us with things that we can share with other people. In Ephesians 2.10, if you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, and we are, to do specific good works he's prepared beforehand for us to do, and he has, then God has wired you to meet other people's needs uniquely, unlike anybody else on the face of the earth. And there's going to be needs that people have that you specifically are wired by God to meet. And when you do, you're going to be fulfilled, and they're going to be so grateful for you. Both in Ephesians 4 and in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, when it talks about spiritual gifts, it always uses the analogy of a physical body. And it says we are many members, but just like the physical body, and just like the hand and the eye are completely different, the hand can't say, I have no need of you to the eye, or the eye can't say, I have no need of you of the hand. The way that God has wired us, we are completely different from one another, but we all bring something to the table to help one another. And I think the hand is constantly guided by the eye. My eye is constantly helping my hand know where to reach, but my hand ministers to and comforts my eye as well. Both of them are strong in some areas and very weak in other areas. And every time I hang out with believers and get to know them, I find out they're really uniquely gifted by God in amazing ways that I'm not. But they're also weak in areas, and they need the support of other believers around them. God has designed us in such a way to keep us humble, but yet to feel valued as members of the body of Christ. So he says, what you have, share it with other people around you. When we went to Uganda on the mission trip with the high schoolers and we're walking around, we're there to give to them and to minister to them and to encourage them. And then what happens indefinitely is the students come back and they say, those impoverished, poor, poor people who don't have windows on their houses and refrigerators and they've got, they're living in mud huts, they ministered to me. Their faith was so dynamic. Their love for Jesus was so fresh and strong. They were so in love with the Lord. I'm challenged by them. I'm encouraged by them. Can the rich benefit from hanging out with the poor? You better believe it. James 2, God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. Can the poor benefit from the rich? Sure. Can the strong benefit from being around the weak? Absolutely. It is, more, it is blessed, more blessed to give than receive, but also when people meet your needs and you're hungry and they're feeding you, you're, you're thirsty and they're giving you drink, you're hurting and they're comforting you, a poor person can comfort a, a rich person. <laughs> All of us have been wired by God to support one another. They were together and it says they held all things in common. This is not communism, this is communism. Communism is when the government steals everybody's property against their will and then says it's, it's theirs and they take it all away so that we're all equally impoverished. In communism, out of love, you're choosing to give as your heart leads you and as you desire to support other people out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life. So it's driven by love, not by the government. True Christian fellowship is the ideal discipleship engine for rapid spiritual evangelism and spiritual growth. When we get together and start serving one another and praying for one another and helping one another and comforting one another and helping each other deal with our stuff, it is the ideal environment for evangelism to take place. And that's what you see happening in this church. God kept adding more and more. More and more people were getting saved because they were watching a fellowshipping, loving community, getting along and supporting each other. This devotion to scripture and fellowship and prayer became a great discipleship engine. And as they're hanging out together, they start loving each other and meeting one another's needs. It says in verse 45 of Acts 2, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So some of them, you go back and look, some of them are taking things and they're selling them and giving the money away to help meet the needs because they just loved each other so much. Some people were like, I'm not going to sell my house, but my house is your house. Come use it anytime you want. (laughs) 
You know, they were sharing the things. You see that in 1 Timothy 6. Some are given to hospitality. Yes, you can use my, uh, my truck. <laughs> yes, you can use, I guess then it was my camel, you know, or whatever it is. Um, but, or they would say, I've got extra stuff. I'm going to help meet the needs of the people who are around us. But they were selling or sharing the things that they had. And they were ministering to one another. And it says, as, as a result, they were meeting the needs of the people who were around them. And I just thought about between plants in a forest, did you know that if one has access to water and another plant has access to nutrients, a third has access to sunlight, that they can share with one another in the root systems and keep each other alive? They say that sequoia trees, hundreds of feet in the air, can withstand lightning strikes, fierce winds, forest fires, because up underneath the surface, they interlock their roots and they reinforce and strengthen and support one another. What a picture of the body of Christ. Believers should be need-meeting machines that out of our love, we're the one like the Good Samaritan who's willing to stop and meet the needs of the people who are around us. And that's what love does. For Jesus to say, I was hungry and you fed me and thirsty and you gave me drink and sick and in prison and you visited me. Basically, whatever the need is at the moment, we're kicking in. He says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So in 1 Peter 4, he says, be hospitable to one another. My home is your home. Your need is my need. Your tear is my tear. Your joy is my joy. He says, and as each one has received a special gift, and we all have, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Love causes us to want to find out what do you need and how can I help you? And all of us every day have a need of the moment. All of us every day need encouragement. All of us every day have things that we're needing somebody to pray about in our lives. And there's something beautiful that happens when believers get together and the exhorters exhort and the mercies comfort and the uh, organizers organize and the servers serve and we support one another. It's just such a beautiful symphony of the grace of God at work in our lives. I was thinking my mother is like the queen of sharing resources with people. <laughs> She's constantly wanting to find deals on things to have them just in case somebody else needs them. Last night I was talking to her. She said, I just bought a twin bed. I said, who's it for? She goes, I don't know. But I got a great deal on it, and I know I'm going to meet somebody who needs a twin bed, and I'm going to give it to them. I want to talk for a second about initiative. It's interesting, you'll see teenagers have been pouring into some high school guys recently, and it's almost like high schoolers at the school dance. You got all these girls over here wishing a guy would ask, and all these guys wishing that they had the guts to go ask. And sometimes they need a teacher to say, all right, I'm putting you together, you know. We want someone else to take the initiative, and yet... When Jesus showed up, he constantly took initiative. He's reaching out to people, follow me. Come hang out with me. Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today and I'm going to come hang out with you. He's talking to the woman at the well. Would you give me something to drink? Everywhere he's going, Jesus was shameless, reaching out, engaging people. Sometimes he flipped it around, even though he was the one that could meet all their needs, and he would engage them to employ some kind of ability or service or uh, resource that they had, and he would use it to turn around. Peter, can I use your boat to preach to these people? And he would spin it around and use it as a way to engage people in relationships. He didn't wait around to be asked. He went out, and he said, come follow me. And doesn't he do that to us? Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Verse 46. Day by day, 
not just week by week, day by day. They were continuing with one mind in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. We're going to be at Ken's house this weekend. Then we're going to be at Jim's house. Then we're going to be at Steve's house. Supporting each other. Taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Warren Wiersbe. Thinking it's been a while since we heard a Warren Wiersbe quote. I'm going to give you one. Warren Wiersbe. The Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for services as usual. They met daily. They cared daily. They won souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily. They increased in number daily. Their Christian faith was a day-to-day reality, not a once-a-week routine. That's beautiful. Do you only have needs on Sundays? From house to house. So we come up with our excuses. Hey, I don't really like people. <laughs> I just, uh, not, a, not a people guy, sorry. And I'm not speaking for myself, I'm speaking on behalf of other people who would say that. So we come up with our excuses. I was thinking, what are the excuses we, we use to stay in our little Christian bubble? While we have the ability to meet the needs of people around us, and we need them too in our lives. How can we get past the 70 on Sundays and move to the 12 where we see them during the week or the three that we see them regularly? You say, well, I'm just too busy. (laughs) We're, We're just too busy. We can't do this. Well, guess what happens when Jesus took over the lives of these busy people in Acts 2? Suddenly, their love for him and their love for one another trumped their busyness. And their priorities begin to shift, and they begin to seek first the kingdom. And God is calling us to seek first the kingdom and to not let our busyness stop us. Well, we've been hurt. We've been been hurt by people before. We got got trust issues with people. We don't trust people. We've been church hurt, or we've been hurt by, yeah. So we're not going to get close to people. We got trust issues with people. Did you know Jesus had trust issues with people? John chapter 2, right as he's beginning his ministry, it said, but he did not entrust himself to man because he knew what was in the heart of man. But his trust issues actually took off the rose-colored glasses that enabled him to view them with compassion, which is exactly what he did. He didn't say, I can only hang out with perfect people. He said, I know these people can't be trusted, but they need love. And so when he viewed them as sheep without a shepherd, His compassion went out to them, and he engaged them in relationship as a result. And God is calling us to realize the people that are around us are broken, just like we're broken, but they need love, and God wants us to reach out to one another and meet one another's needs. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, she had issues. Engaging the demon-possessed man, he had some issues, Talking to the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and the prostitutes. Those people had issues. The Pharisees were shocked that Jesus is hanging out with people who have issues. Did you know the people around you have got issues? The person who you see in the mirror has issues. We have great needs and God has given us as the church the ability to meet those needs. And he wants us to view those people the way Jesus does, with the eyes of compassion. You say, well, if I were to get together with people, I really wouldn't know what to do. What are we going to do? I'm not seminary trained. You know, I'm not Jesus. If we get together, I'm just, what are we going to do, stand around and stare at one another? That's weird. I feel socially awkward as it is at big parties. Why do I want to invite people in my home? Why do I want to hang out with them? Well, I want to encourage you, put on the eyes of love and ask people, what's going on in your life? How you doing? How can I pray for you? Just those three questions. What's going on in your world right now? How you doing? 
how can I pray for you? If you just ask those three questions, you'll find out the need of the moment. You'll find out that they're hurting and you can comfort them. You'll find out that they, they got a need and you can help meet that need. You'll find out that they may have something good going on in their lives and they can meet a need in your life. It's amazing to see how Jesus, the head, will orchestrate the body and he'll put those with needs connecting with the people who can meet those needs. And it'll be mutual, oftentimes. You're blessing one another. It's amazing to me. Just hanging out with believers, how many times it's like divine appointment on Monday, divine appointment on Tuesday. You just hang it. Hey, how you doing? What's going on in your life and your family? How can I pray for you? My brother Shannon texted me this week. He goes, I just got a great deal on a Mediacom, saved a lot of money, and he's sharing it with me. And I looked at my American Express, you know, bill, and I was like, holy moly. I need to take advantage of this. And in a few minutes, I was saving 100 bucks a month on my Mediacom bill, and I'm like, I love my brother. He's meeting a need in my life. But he's good at stuff like that. And so we're helping each other. When we get together as a team and we're praying for one another, we're regularly sharing, can you pray for my son about this? And I'll pray for your daughter about this. <laughs> hey, this is, we got a, there's a great deal going on over here. I'll buy a bunch and I'll share them with you guys. Just the beauty and the support of what happens when you start loving on one another. So what do you do when you get together with other believers? I want to recommend you do those four things in Acts 2.42. You share the word. What's God been teaching you in the word? Here's something I got out of the word this week. You can be sitting at a restaurant, having a cup of coffee with someone, talking with somebody at work, who's another believer. What's God teaching in the Word? And then share your homes and your needs with them. Here's, what I'm, here's what's going on. Would you pray with me about this? And then share meals. They were sharing breaking bread from house to house. And then share prayer. How can I pray for you? Something beautiful happens in our relationships. Because as I'm encouraging Ken in one area, he's encouraging me in another area. And I'm praying for him in one area, and he's praying for me in another area, and it ties my heart to him. And when God answers his prayer, I rejoice with him. When God answers my prayer, he rejoices with me. When he's grieving, I'm grieving. When he's hurting, I'm hurting. And it multiplies our joys, and it divides our sorrows, and we begin to look more and more like Jesus through the relationships. Another excuse we use, well, my house is a mess. I don't want to have people over at my house. I've found if I go ahead and invite them over, it highly motivates my family to clean my house. <laughs> you know, my kids, our kids are professional mess makers. And if I tell them, hey, man, we got, your friends are coming over. We got to get, man, it's amazing how they will start working together as an army to clean up. Secondly, I found out that if our house is a little bit messy when they come, they just feel at home. <laughs> They're like, you're normal. Our house was a wreck too when I left. Thank you for being normal. You're like, we can't do it. Well, meet at a restaurant. <laughs> but meet. Hang out. You say, well, we have personal issues. We can't get together with other believers. I mean, like, we're broken. You know? <laughs> we're imperfect. We don't have it together. We got junk in the trunk. There's mess at our address. There's craze in our space. We, we, can't, we cannot get together with other people. Well, one of the reasons why there's so much junk in your trunk is because you've been isolating yourself from other people. Because what happens is when you get together, the gospel plays out, and we, who are all equal at the foot of the cross, can help and support one another. And the hand wipes out the eye, and it becomes a beautiful thing so that the eye can see. God's word assumes when we get together that we're going to have issues. And God's word assumes that when we get together, we're going to need to be showing patience to the people who have issues around us. Look at these two passages. Colossians 3 says this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, here's your identity. You're holy and beloved by the Lord. He says, put on tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another 
and forgiving one another. He assumes that you're going to have to forgive some people when you get together with them. And you're going to have to put up with people. That's part of the plan. He says, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do so. But above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of perfection. 1 Thessalonians 5. This passage assumes we're hanging out with broken people. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. He's assuming that we're going to engage broken people in relationships and that we're going to need them and they're going to need us. This week, I heard the testimony of Tyler Tony. He's the main leader of the show, Dude Perfect, on YouTube. Some of their videos have over 400 million views on YouTube, and he's just recently posted his testimony on I Am Second. And he shared that during the pandemic, how his relationship with God was falling apart. He was overworked, struggling with an addiction, failing in his marriage, not no time with his kids, and his family was falling apart while Dude Perfect was exploding in popularity. But he plugged into a Bible study with other men on Thursday mornings. And they started meeting every week in the Word with 11 other guys. Guess what happened? Those dudes started helping him. He surrendered his life to Christ. He reordered the priorities of his life and his marriage. He cut back on what he started doing at work. God started helping him with his marriage and with his role as a dad. And the Holy Spirit prompted him to start sharing the gospel at the end of every one of their tour concerts and shows. And out from that, he says, I now get to tell people, thousands of people about Jesus on our tours because of what God has been doing in my life. What happens when believers start fellowshipping with other believers? What is the fruit of this devotion? In conclusion, when we devote ourselves to these things and we start fellowshipping with other believers, Acts 2.43 communicates, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So the first thing is we begin to experience the awesomeness of God in our daily connected lives. As we're praying for one another, now my prayers are multiplied. It's not only the things I'm praying for my family, but the people I'm hanging out with. When they're praying for me and my family, it multiplies the things that we're, that we're going to have answered prayer for in our lives. Secondly, enjoying the sweet fellowship of a loving close community, mutually beneficial community, that when they're hanging out together, it becomes this beautiful fellowship. And then lastly, it says they were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So evangelizing the lost came out of it, that were drawn to Christ through their love, through the favor of God that was upon them. Shouldn't every church be living in that on a weekly basis? We should be, every church ought to be experiencing answered prayer, the awesomeness of God, because believers are fellowshipping and supporting and praying and encouraging one another. We should be enjoying relationships at a deep level as we fellowship and support one another. And we should be seeing more and more people get saved and surrender their lives to Christ because of God's hand of favor upon us in our unity. So, in conclusion, I want to challenge you. Stop isolating yourself from other believers. Start taking initiative to reach out and develop friendships. And over time, work your way in where you're serving, using the gift God has given you, blessing other people, praying for them, sharing the word, sharing your lives with other believers, and the best friendships you will ever have will be with other believers who love the Lord and who love you with a Christ-like love. And we will see God use us mightily and his favor be upon us. Let's pray together.
If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of your salvation. And I would encourage you to turn to him in all of your sin and brokenness and to call upon Jesus for salvation. The Bible says, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So I want to encourage you, do what so many of us have done. Humble yourself before an almighty God. Jesus came, lived the life that we all needed to live but couldn't, paid the price on the cross for our sins, rose again from the grave three days later, and he offers forgiveness and eternal life to those who will place their faith and trust in him. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, but have never gone public with that by being baptized, I want to challenge you to profess Christ publicly and to celebrate what he's done in your heart and your faith and let others celebrate with you. To make that decision, I'm going to obey the first thing Jesus tells his followers to do, to be baptized. And then thirdly, all of us, we need to pray, God, would you do a work in my heart and would you fill my heart with a love for others? Give me the compassion of Jesus for the people that are around me. And would you help me to engage other people in friendships and relationships where there is true Christian fellowship taking place? Lord, would you help us to build a strong network of godly support around each of us? That we are not just fellowshipping together on Sundays, but we begin to share our lives, our homes, our resources, our spiritual gifts with one another. And Lord, that we would experience the favor of God the depth of relationships and friendships like we've never experienced before, and that we would not only meet one another's needs, but, Lord, that the gospel would go forth in power from our lives. Lord, help us to not fall away. Help us not to fall into sin. Help our marriages to not fall apart. Help our faith to not waver. Help our families to not fall apart, Lord. Help our children to not turn their hearts away from you. Lord, may we not go it alone. May we support one another in true Christian fellowship. And we pray, Father, that we would each be found faithful to you. Lord, use this church as a lighthouse in this community, a lighthouse of love and of healing and encouragement and truth and prayer that we would be meeting needs in our community as the body of Christ and that we would see so many lives changed as a result. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.